0: All right, everybody. It is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have a uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy to understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write
1: right everyone welcome back to another episode of the crypto 101 podcast peace of mind here rolling solo today literally because i've got solo cc joining me bryce is off on assignment solo cc is the ceo and co-founder of the galaxy app solo thanks so much for joining me today
2: how you doing awesome i'm doing well pleasure to be here
1: give the audience the good citizens of crypt nation a little bit of your background What were you doing before you got into the crypto space and what was the brainstorming session like when you decided to form galaxy
2: yeah no absolutely so um i've done a lot of things but most recently i was an investment banker on wall street uh, prior to joining or working on Galaxy full-time or creating Galaxy rather. So I actually started off in trading. So I did a lot of that as well. So I was on different fixed income trading desks, asked a few too many questions about the origination process. So they punted me over to the origination group and said, hey, why don't you go be an investment banker if you want to ask us so many questions about how the product originated. Uh, so did that, worked on uh, predominantly securitized assets. So Uh, residential mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed securities, CLOs, etc. You know, is kind of where I spend a lot of my time, so securitization-heavy. And so going back to the formation of Galaxy, the other other co-founder, my uh, friend Spencer Dinwiddie, who plays on the Brooklyn Nets, um, he actually was one of the first or the first player to securitize himself in his NBA contract. So putting the pieces of the puzzle together, I served as like an advisor to him, in that process when we were thinking about what the future of monetization could look like, you know, for creators or anybody with influence. Um, But we realized very quickly that not everybody has a large MBA contract with publicly verifiable cash flows. Um, And a lot of different types of creators might want to monetize themselves in different ways. So we went back to the drawing board and created a product um, that has web 2.0 like features like Cameo, like Patreon, uh, different creator platforms where people are monetizing their time. Right. So like going back to the idea of monetizing intellectual property or contractual value, that's a bit further out on the roadmap and a bit further away from how people think. But people know how to monetize their time very well. And so we built a product um, that aims to be the one stop shop for creators to host all their interactions as well as monetize and connect with their fans. That's
1: super interesting. I, I want to get some more details on this because I want to wrap my head around it. I'm definitely a creative person. Love Being a creator, I'd rather call myself a creator rather than an entrepreneur or a businessman or whatever, but I don't know why I want to monetize myself. What benefits does Spencer have from monetizing his NBA contract versus just keeping all of it for himself?
2: Yeah. So the rationale really is if you're Spencer, and and it's really the idea of unlocking trap liquidity, right? So, you know, if you sign a $40 million deal where you're receiving $10 million over the course of four years, you know, you might want to be able to bring all of that money to time zero, aka now. And in order to do that, you might be willing to finance yourself or cash advance yourself. There are a lot of different ways to talk about the concepts, but essentially, you know, you're able to, unlock that liquidity that is trapped in the contract in in the term of how it's going to be dispersed over time. And so you as the influencer, creator, originator in this case, um, are able to bring that money to time zero. And if you're able to, you know, finance yourself at two, three percent and go make some smart investments, like, you know, with your private banker or anyone else that might help you, um, you know, as an accredited investor, you probably see a lot of different types of great opportunities um, to invest. Um, and so that's kind of how you're able to, you know, make the financially savvy trade, um, you know, hedge funds do it all the time um, and finance yourself early on in order to then, you know, make some multiples of, of money on top of it. In addition to that, you know, there are a lot of people that might want to just finance their life, right? You know, if you think about the entertainment industry at large, you know, there are people that will go out and take a hard money loan, you know, for 15, 20, 30% to finance their activities. When in reality, you know, there are probably a lot more efficient ways to raise capital. Um so essentially, that's kind of the idea of why Spencer would want to do that or anybody else.
1: That's really cool. So how does that work then for maybe like an Instagram influencer or a TikTok influencer? They, yeah, they, they go, they create their own creator token on Galaxy, their fans come over, and what do their fans get for buying this token other than you know being able to wear the
2: team jersey? Absolutely. So the the way that we think about it, and so going back to you know Spencer's contract, that's a distinctly different business line than what Cal seems to be you know nowadays, right? That's kind of you know the proof of concept monetization, but we've revamped it to something that makes a lot more sense, which is you know Web two point zero social media. That's what most people understand. So if you're an Instagram influencer, right, there are a lot of people in your DMs. You know, or people just in general that would love to interact with you. They want to know who you are. They're people that you know think that you are the greatest thing that has ever walked this planet. And so, in order to you know monetize yourselves, there aren't no there aren't many efficient ways you know to have a face to face conversation you know like we're having now, or to have the opportunity to have that ultimate interaction directly between you know a fan and a creator. And so what we've built is that these creator tokens are essentially, key cards or essentially a a, a, the the way in which you can redeem these interactions based off of what a creator has predetermined in terms of their product offering so if you're you know Ezekiel elliott or if you're matt james the bachelor you might want to be able to offer video calls to your fans for a set price or you might want to offer custom video messages similar to Camaro for a set price or exclusive content in terms of a, you know, you know subscription program or, you know, adding things like NFTs and crypto bespoke offerings, right? That's why we've built it on top of a blockchain to facilitate that peer-to-peer interaction as well as pave way into what would be a decentralized world or web 3.0. But we're benign relatively because we have that web 2.0 like exterior, like an Instagram, like what people are familiar with using. And that's kind of what we're aiming to do is bring crypto to the masses and not shove it down people's throats, but rather build something that's familiar to them, solves a critical issue, and allows them to take a step into the future.
1: That's really uh, phenomenal, a great approach to it. I we have always said, you know, in this space, you know, we'll finally achieve success when people are using crypto and they don't know it. So I think you're going right along that path uh, brilliantly. Let's talk about NFTs as a whole for a moment, because it's a completely new space that uh, is so different from a Bitcoin or an Ethereum, just in how it's approached, you know, as a, a trader or an investor, you're looking with something with large daily volumes so you can get in and out of positions and this, that, and the mm-hmm. other, but NFTs aren't like that. You know, you mm-hmm. see an NFT that's trading, you know, only a couple times a week and, you think of that, that in a normal crypto perspective, and you're not going to touch that thing ever. But mm. that's the wrong way to look at an NFT because it might trade once a week, once a month, once a year, yeah. depending on what it is. What's some more ways that NFTs have to be looked at and treated differently than a cryptocurrency or a utility token like Bitcoin or Bitcoin? Yeah,
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in general... And how we think about NFTs here at Galaxy is the idea that really at the end of the day, we're just tokenizing things that, that are, you know, uh, very much so tied to that experience that do, you know, deal with a community or a person, right? So like, if you think about an influencer that you like, you know, the utility in that NFT really lies with the fact that that likeness or that relationship to that person is, you know, valuable to, you know, the beholder, right? And so, you know, NFTs at this point in time, you know, if you look at them and you look at the NBA top shots and, you know, those types of NFTs where people are looking to, you know, create asymmetric yield and and, and trade the market, that's a lot different of an approach to it versus like the idea of it being more like memorabilia or, you know, things that are, you know, tied to, you know, nostalgia, right? Or something that makes you um, really want to connect with an individual. Because, you know, people trade baseball cards, but not, they're not as liquid of an asset as, you know, a currency, right? Or, or like foreign exchange, it's essentially what, you know, crypto trading is. So for us, you know, our approach has always been like, you know, people have been tokenizing, things, um, you know, people are now going to start tokenizing people, which is why we've created the creator coins. But we think in together, you unlock this really new community building tool when you have creator tokens, as well as NFTs, kind of in this homogenous ecosystem where they can interact with each other each. And so I think from that perspective, you know, we see the world as you know NFTs being a way to identify and, and verify scarcity, but then also um, a way to, to, to really kind of tokenize, digitize as well as kind of take that that feeling you get from somebody or something and and bring it to the blockchain. And so, in terms of how you really think about it from an investor's perspective, I personally, you know, as an investor, I, I like, you know, the top things I look at are kind of, you know, the merits of an investment, then also the liquidity aspect of it too. And so I think you have to be very conscious about the fact that, you know, the NFT market is going to be something that's a lot more choppy, right? There aren't going to be always buyers for everything because not every single asset is, you know, valued to, you know, every single person in in that way.
1: How do we evaluate an NFT? Because, you know, in a with the, you're looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum markets, if there's no buyer, price drops until there is. Exactly. And it just crashes until finally someone's ready to come scoop up and buy all the blood. And that's how you know the market cycles work. But NFTs, you don't need a buyer today or tomorrow or next week and the value more or less stays the same. Is that correct? And if so, why do the NFT markets function so differently?
2: I would say in general that, you know, I think they operate a lot more like traditional markets do than than some people might think, you know, at the end of the day, like if there isn't a buyer that values that, you know, specific tokenized collectible item in the way that you do, then it's worth whatever, you know, with any sort of trade, right? Like if I wanted to sell you this, you know, water bottle, right? And it was something that, you know, ultimately if we were in the desert um, and you had no water to drink, I'm sure that value, that bottle would be super valuable, right? But If you know, you have tap water down the street, you know, down the hallway in your sink, it's probably less valuable, right? And so I think when you think about, you know, NFTs and and in that market, you know, it's very important to really think about kind of, you know, what the market looks like away from you, right? Like if you know that, you know, you can't just I personally solo CSA can't create an NFT and have that sell for as much as Spencer's one. Because People don't value things that I create in the same way that they would from center. And the same thing goes to, you know, if LeBron James is an issue in NFT, et cetera, right? So I think, you know, you just have to really think about, you know, the dynamics of what you're investing in and what the other side of your market looks like um, over time. But I do think that they function um, a little bit more like traditional markets. But then you also add the idea of the hype factor with it right now and things like that. So people are just, you know, buying things just because they are NFTs. But ultimately over time, I imagine that, that dynamic of it will probably die out and normalize like regular markets.
1: So we're recording this just after the NBA finals concluded. Uh, congratulations to the Bucks! Amazing. And what's going to happen now with the NBA top shots? Is it like the water bottle in the desert, when? but now that the NBA season's over, that's going to kind of be the bear market during the off season? Or <laughs> is it more correlated to, other cryptocurrencies and digital assets. And as Bitcoin's now, you know, back at 40K and starting to emerge from its correction, is it going to continue to catch fire and value? What, what do you think is going to happen?
2: Personally, I would say that we're going to see a lot of what would be a, not, not a normalization, but people are going to start to come up with more defined use cases for NFTs, right? And so like when you think about the NBA top shots and, and obviously we're very big fans of them, you know, Roham, the CEO is an advisor to our project as well you know, Spencer is an in their platform and pretty publicly. So, um, you know, we think the world of those guys and they're obviously they're leaders in that space. I think over time, you know, what we saw was, you know, with at the height of the crypto market, as well as the hype of what NFTs and people are starting to figure out what these things are, you know, there was that price action that you saw. But ultimately, I think over time, you know, we've moved towards the world where people are starting to understand NFTs and people are, you know, more people are looking to issue them. Um, And so I think just in general, in terms of, you know, if you're an agnostic NFT trader, right, you don't really care about, you know, this NFT versus that NFT, you're just looking to make money off of them, right? There's a lot more for you to buy now than there was three, four or five months ago, right? Um, Just because there's a lot more issuance. And so I think that dynamic within itself is going to naturally impact price action, right? Like if there's a very, you know, a very choppy market and there's not much supply picture, price action can be a lot more, you know, steep. But at this point in time, I think we've seen a lot of that. And so naturally, right, to your point, you know, the NBA season going into, a, you know, to the offseason, um, it's over. You know, so there's probably a little bit about that dynamic. But I think more importantly, too, is just the idea that, you know, the NFT market is starting to mature a little bit. Right. Versus where it was like, you know, nowadays, the average person might actually have heard about NFTs. But, you know, three, five, six months ago, it was something that was this new crazy thing that could make you money. It wasn't, you know, something that people knew a lot about, and I think you kind of see that euphoric price action, similar to things like, you know, GameStop or AMC, et cetera. So,
1: with the space starting to mature, with that, you are able to identify the marketplace needs, who your ideal customer is, and be able to kind of segment and really kind of refine the details in your product to be the leader in the space. But we talk a lot about. The importance of decentralization in money, the importance mm-hmm. of decentralization in, you know, running code and smart contract platforms. Is decentralization even necessary in NFTs? Why or why not?
2: Um, I mean, I think it just would be just because of the fact that it is very much so the ethos of you know the blockchain, you know, blockchain way in general, right? So, like I think, you know, like anything else, it, it would be important for that. And then also to you know, have that trust and transparency to to, to be able to verifiably add that value or have that value in scarcity to, um, you know, a particular item would be, you know, super important, right? Like for that to not be tampered with, for that to be, you know, to be able to have a trustless trust layer to that dynamic, you know, to that market would be very important in that dynamic. So I would say, yes, super important. You know, I think in general in the developed world, and we've talked a lot about this in general is that, you know, we've learned to, uh, get accustomed to the endorsement model. And what I mean by that is you need to be able to point to somebody or something and be like, I trust that guy or I trust that entity for this thing to have value, right? And I think, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately the ethos of blockchain is that to, to get away from that, right? Because you don't always have that luxury. You go to, a, you know, a, a, the undeveloped world and you can't necessarily point to the bank or point to XYZ person and say you trust that person. Right, And so I think with anything, right, like moving to a decentralized society is super important, but the, 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 de- the general friction or, or things towards moving to that comes with the fact that we've grown up living a world like that. So yeah. roundabout answer, but I do think it's very important um, that we move to, uh, the, to a decentralized society in all forms and especially you know, with NFTs too.
1: I couldn't agree more, but as a founder, as a developer, as a builder, Uh, It's very tough to build something that's decentralized from the ground up. Very, very tough because it requires a community to be there. So a lot of things start centralized and become more and more decentralized over time. It's not a black and white thing. It's a a gray gradient. So And nothing's ever 100% decentralized, maybe 90, 80, whatever it is. There's going to be a term coming out later this year, quote, unquote, sufficiently decentralized, which is not defined what that is. But I guess it's more of a a feel than a number at this point. As a a
0: founder. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: At what point do you feel comfortable letting your baby bird fly out of the nest and giving up that control of something that you worked so hard on.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you bring up a great point, and I think that's something that you know the the entire you know obviously blockchain insiders they know this, but like in general, moving to a decentralized society or or anything is it is a is a process. It's not a point in time thing, right? It happens over time, and I think you now as a founder, it's, it's really about kind of you know, going back to your product market fit or going back to what the problem is you're trying to solve, like, do you believe that you're sufficiently decentralized to the point where you'll be able to solve your end goal? Like in Galaxy's perspective, we want to be the standard, the vanguard for personal monetization. Do we have enough stakeholders in our ecosystem to make sure that we can get to that goal? It's kind of how I think we would measure internally, at least whether we're sufficiently decentralized um, and sufficiently covered to be able to kind of solve that narrative, Right. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we are an open source platform where people can come build and you know, use our technology for whatever purposes they may need, um, especially those that serve, service the creator economy or even greater, the creator middle class. That is a very big thing that we're seeing right now. Um, so I think over time, you know, it doesn't need to be the case. And you know, in, the, in the context of social media, right, when we think about it is at the end of the day, YouTube, the TikToks, these big centralized entities dictate the earnings of these creators, right? And I think our main goal is to, to change that. You saw the rise of the cameos and the creator platforms that have come to allow creators to set their own pricing for their time, but they come with their, you know, their, their short their, their shortcomings uh, as well. So we wanted to create a platform that was comprehensive in the future set, but also hinted at the idea of being able to set your own pricing and things like that. And so I think once we're able to get to the point where we're comfortable and that the answer to that is yes, I feel like that's when we would be you know very, very comfortable um, letting the community do what it would like to with the technology.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So by now, pretty much everyone in the world has heard the term social media. They understand what it is and the impact that it has on just the way we think, the way we interact with one another. But there's a next evolution of that that I guess you would call the open social marketplace. Yeah, what is the difference between a social media platform and a social marketplace?
2: I think it would have to do with the fact that we're really peer-to-peer, right? Like when you think about like being able to facilitate transactions at great volumes, um, you know, directly between counterparties, that's the next step of this entire thing, right? So like if you want to have that FaceTime call with, you know, Matt James, The Bachelor, like to be able to have the ability to do that in a, in a trust, uh, trustless trust manner is, is very key. And so like, we want to facilitate that two-way interaction that you can have directly from creator to fan and fan to creator in that way, right? Like we've seen social media platforms be places and pedestals for people to stand up and start talking to a community, right? But there wasn't really much that fans or the receivers or followers, however you want to think about it, could do in return, right? And so we wanted to create this, facilitate this two-way mechanism for creators and fans to interact with each other. And obviously for there to be that exchanging of value, whether it's that FaceTime call that's so valuable to you or, you know, money in return. Um, And so that's kind of what we see as the the next generation of, you know, fan engagement.
1: Is there any concern that the incumbent social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, blah, 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 might steal some of these ideas and just adopt them? Or is the hope that they'll just buy some of these small startups and incorporate these ideas?
2: I mean, you always have that threat, right? Like you saw with Clubhouse and all these other platforms looking to you know, replicate it as well. Um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. So like, you know, that's always a risk Right. In terms of if you're that big, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can do, um, you know, a lot of things. Right. So like that's definitely a risk in, in, in something like that. But at the same time, I think, you know, there is really, you know, a need for there to be an education for how the technology could be used. Right. And I think, you know, obviously they're doing a lot of their diligence at those large companies. But I think what you've been able to see just from how you know, we've seen in the news and the media about how different thought leaders in their respective spaces have you know, approached blockchain, you know, there definitely is a lot more that everybody could learn about it, myself included. Um, and so I think just being able to kind of, you know, understand that dynamic might be something that kind of makes it, you know, a little bit harder for somebody like them to, to really dive in and commit the resources to without fully having understood it, just because it's this new thing that everyone is trying to understand. And then also I would say in general too, it's, it really has to do with like, you know, their, their business strategy and becoming a creator platform like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter have very different demographics in terms of how they serve. And so I think, you know, there are going to be, you know, uh, uh, journeys into that space naturally because it's going to be such a big technology. But I think, you know, it's going to be something that takes a little bit of time. And to your point, I do think that they will probably, you know, look to have ecosystem partners and things like that along the way to facilitate that transition.
1: I remember when Snapchat first started and it was so revolutionary because you could send a temporary message of either video or photo to somebody and then it would go away. Wouldn't take a bunch of storage on your phone which was a big problem at the time. And it became so successful. Then immediately Instagram came out with stories, Facebook Mm -hmm. copied it, Twitter copied it. And then Instagram branched out into having all kinds of shows and news feeds. And they kind of copy like a bunch of Facebook content. Is it better to have like an all encompassing platform with a ton of stuff on it for people to do to just try and solve their boredom? Or is it good to kind of be like clubhouse and just do one thing thing really, 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 really well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it depends. Like, so on, on two sides to your question, right? Like what, what will keep fans engaged? And I do think there is value to, to be able to spend a lot of time in one place, right? Like to be able to have that, you know, focus is super important. Um, But then also on the business strategy side, like how do you make sure that people don't try to replicate your idea? And I think it, it becomes a little bit more complicated. Again, like, when you're that big you can do a lot of things right like not not at all just saying you know not at all discounting that um but i do think the the more things that you do and the more problems that you solve the harder it is to you know replicate that um and also i would say thing you know for us too as well as galaxy as a platform you know we're that's in our dna right like we are for creators by creators like we know these people right like we are them we're not you know we we you know come from that space and have been able to develop a product that we know has like at least on the creator side you know a need for that that's how we've been able to develop this roster of people but then also just being connected enough in the space to really get a sense for how both sides of these um you know these these uh you know ecosystem partners or you know stakeholders you know look at the problem so i think from your perspective, it's it's a lot of those things, and so I think us being able to do that has been allowed us to create a platform that's very comprehensive, that's hopefully a little bit harder to to replicate. But again, I think you know to your point, it's one of those things where you need to you know have those conversations internally about how your your broader strategy is um, as you want to grow. As someone
1: who is very very new to investing in NFTs, and I admit I am. This is the one aspect of crypto I'm not an expert in. I'm a novice. There's many listeners on this podcast that probably know more than I do at this point, to be very frank. But if I'm going to get involved in NFTs, my concerns are similar to, you know, getting involved in DeFi, but there's insurance now that covers smart contract risks. So if there's a hack and I've got insurance on my position, I'm covered, I'm good. If I'm going to buy NFTs, You know, I'm worried, well, you know, what if this athlete that I'm buying, you know, has a horrible knee injury and gets bought out of his, you know, NFL contract, or if I'm, you know, investing in a WWE superstar and he gets released, you know, what happens then? Is there any kind of insurance that I can buy that protects the value of the NFT that I bought yet? Or is that a potential uh, new thing that could come into the industry?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely opportunity for that sort of downside protection. I think ultimately what's super important about this is just really understanding and assessing the risk of an investment entirely, right? Like when you're operating, in, especially in a market that's thin like the NFT market where there's not a ton of liquidity, price action like we spoke about is, you know, very sharp. And so it's very important to be able to assess those risks very, important, uh, you know, very, um, you know, comprehensively in order to be comfortable, you know, buying into that sort of market. I do think over time, as NFTs become something that is second nature in a way that more people are involved, naturally that adds liquidity, right? So the price action will be a lot more smooth. Um, that's very important. But to your point, you know, as it's currently structured or as the market is it's super important to think about those things and having that downside protection is definitely a big opportunity in the space, just to give them the fact that it can be choppy, you know, at this moment in time. So I think, you know, over time when people start to understand and, you know, embrace the value of what NFTs can be, it will be very important, um, you know, and it will be very, uh, you know, monumental in the way in which the market itself will function too. So your risk and the things that you're concerned about will probably change as well.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important to consider those risks, uh, not just the upside, but definitely the downside. Uh, I know sports teams owners, they will get uh, insurance on their $100 million contracts that they hand out. So they're covered. I think uh, in the NFT space, it would only make a lot of sense if that option was available, too. that'd be awesome to see, you know, a partnership between Galaxy and Nexus Mutual or Cover Protocol or whomever. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously this is unscripted, so you know, maybe you've got something to the works and if so, you know, we can cut it out in editing already. But uh, yeah, like I that. definitely think, you know, something like that would be an, an amazing feature for investors to feel more comfortable investing in NFTs. But moving forward from that comment, what is the future of NFTs that you see coming after... The creator coins. So what else in this world can become a tokenized security that really excites you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things just when it comes to your memorabilia, like sports venues and the way in which they could use NFTs to to, to verify different aspects in the way in which that, you know, fans engage with, you know, sports in general. Um, You know, I think what at Galaxy, what we feel that is missing is really this ecosystem for NFTs to really exist, right? Like, I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are creating NFTs. They direct their fan bases to these, you know, third-party websites that their fans ordinarily wouldn't go to in order to, you know, facilitate the exchanging NFTs. But we see a future where, you know, people can take their phone, mint an NFT via their camera and post it to a social channel that their fans are already involved in and unknowingly building a blockchain community, you know, for there to have this really, really nice, um, you know, cross-pollinating ecosystem for NFTs to live and be changed in exchange for value. So I think the future of that really is ultimately like, you know, the, the, the lowering the barriers of entry, right? Like when we think about point and shoot cameras, um, you know, the idea of like potentially something like that, um, you know, coming to the space, which ultimately creates a ton of different opportunities, right? Like when you think about Instagram models and the way that they, you know, may charge for certain, you know, portfolios or, or pictures that they've done, right? Like why couldn't those be, you know, digital collections one of one right? Like why wouldn't they do that, right? So like, I think from that perspective, um, you know, the possibilities are quite endless in terms of, you know, how do you create Um, you know, creator experience where it's like you buy the coin and, you know, owning a certain amount of coins unlocks you this, et cetera. And there's a lot of gamesmanship that can really happen um, in that space, which is what we're super excited about.
1: Interesting. Interesting. So as far as backend platforms to support the apps that, you know, people like you are building, what is out there that, you know, really excites you the most? Is it Ethereum? Is it Tezos? Or is it something else?
2: Well, I think I would have to plug our, our great uh, our great partners, Hedera Hashgraph. So we built our platform on Hedera um, and, uh, you know, we've been super excited and they've been great partners to us. Um, we also, like I said, you know, have had a lot of conversations with other chains and oper- as well and want to be interoperable with a lot of different platforms as well and stuff. But, you know, to be able to, you know, get to asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance, right? And having the ability to have a platform that has, the throughput and capacity to be able to facilitate a marketplace like a galaxy um was super important right like when you have the transaction volume that we might have on something like this you know that speed um without you know astronomically high gas fees was super important in the way in which that we ended up choosing our partner as well as being able to align ourselves with like the googles and the IBMs that are fit on the board of that platform Um, you know that being said Like I mentioned, a lot of different platforms we'd like to, uh, you know, a lot of different chains that we would hopefully over time look to integrate with as well, you know, from that interoperability perspective, but that's who we use and how we got there.
1: We had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Lehman Baird from Hedera pretty uh, recently, and it was mind blowing just how intelligent this guy was. I mean, he answered questions with some of the most simplicity I've ever heard. I mean, just ridiculously smart guy, Um, but there are tons of ridiculously smart people in the world. And it seems like they're all building a layer one blockchain, whether it's uh, Stuart Popejoy from Kadena or Vitalik Buterin at Ethereum or, you know, Charles Hoskinson and everybody over at Cardano. But uh, Dr. Lehman Baird and Mats Harmon at Hedera uh, are second to none in what they've built over there. Yet Hedera might not be as well known as some of these other platforms, despite having Google and IBM and many others on their board. Uh, but it's really cool to meet someone who's actually picked them to build on what are some of the things that you see next in hedera's evolution that you might be privy to as someone who actually works with them all the time
2: yeah i mean i think a lot of it has to do with you know the audience or the the intended audience right like so i think hedera as a as a a platform solution right like it's not even technically blockchain it's um hashgraph um different type of technology and i think with that comes a lot of different opportunities right like we've had a lot of different, you know, partners within the ecosystem that we've looked to to work with at Galaxy as well. Um, you know, NFT platforms and different other uh, you know, businesses and projects that in the space that are super important. But I think ultimately, like the, the growth of that platform or you know, there in general is, you know, ultimately they're they're gonna be able to do a little bit of everything. Right. Like I think with that technology, um, it stands on its own in a way that it hasn't had to be you know, super, you know, shoved down people's throats in terms of advertising campaigns and things like that. Like, like you mentioned, like, even Baird's is one of the smartest people you'll ever speak to. And we've been fortunate enough as well to, to have had one of their team members join our team. Our CTO, Cooper Coons, as well, um, came from Hedera as well. And so like, you know, from that perspective, you know, there's been, you know, immense synergy in there as well. And, you know, they have enough projects and hopefully with Galaxy, projects like Galaxy and others um, that can be some high profile things. Um, the future um, you know, of that chain and, or, or sorry, of that, of the Hedera platform um, is very bright. Um, they have a lot of stuff in the works so we're really excited on our sides as well um, to see what comes to fruition.
1: Yeah. Dr. Baird described Hedera as a public utility, just like you would think of a library or a park. And I thought that was just one of the coolest things that I've ever heard. Um, and what an amazing vision to have that from the beginning, then go out and build it. So that's awesome. I'm really happy it's being used. Um, Solo, just before we let you go, I want to ask a couple other questions. You know, who is someone that you admire in the crypto space that really inspires you to do what you do?
2: Great question, man. There's, there's a ton. Uh, <laughs> wow. Because the thing is, I mean, I, I have to shout out my co-founder Spence, like, Spence Dinwiddie. Like, he he taught me most, of, not everything of what I know about crypto. Like, you know, as we spoke about at the beginning of this, like, I was a Wall Street guy, um, you know, and Wall Street people are, you know, tend to be super rigid in in the way in which that, you know, the traditional banking system is correct, right? Like, I'm not trying to alienate myself out of a job, right? Like, that's kind of the mind point, the viewpoint I came out of. Um, and, you know, to be able to kind of, you know, be with somebody that, like, had been able to, you know, explain that and, you know, explain the technology and help grow with the technology over time, um, you know, has been immensely valuable. I mean, our advisor advisors for Galaxy have been massive as well. Um, you know, having Roham from Dapper Labs as, you know, advisor, having Adrian from Liquify, and, um, you know, having Chad from Senate Consortium. We have a lot of great, um, you know, talent on our side that's been super helpful in, in helping us create and craft the, a vision that makes sense to, to ultimately become the standard of monetization. So, um, you know, I would say I have to go with my guys. Like we have some of the best guys in the world, quite honestly, on our side. So we're super excited about it. And I've been, you know, nothing but blessed to be able to call those guys, uh, you know, colleagues, friends, and, and, and much more. That's
1: brilliant. Solo, thank you so much for hanging out with me on the Crypto 101 podcast today and teaching us all so much about NFTs uh, and the emerging creator space. I think it's really fascinating something I definitely want to dive into more as well. Where can the Good Citizens of Crypt Nation follow you and download the Galaxy app?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So right now we're in the process of uh, finalizing the application to be ready to be deployed to the app store. Um, So that should be coming soon. Um, In terms of where you could follow for updates, you know, Galaxy as a platform is all on all major social platforms. So Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it. And then me personally, you can find me on those platforms as well. Um, at solo. Um, on Instagram at solo no dot tisa, on Twitter, and you know, happy to uh, you know connect with you guys there, and I appreciate you for having me. Um, it's been great.
1: It's our pleasure. We'll definitely have you back really soon. All right, everyone, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with another great episode and another fantastic guest.